Today on the show, oh, you've activated our trap card. We just pulled a Black Lotus. We're putting a poison token on your Snorlax and placing as much fate as we can. We're talking collectible cards. Points if you got all of those references. Yeah. I had to Google one of those games. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All of those trading card references. Very impressive. <laughs> I will say, though, if yeah. you put that poison token on my Snorlax, you will yeah. activate my trap card, which oh. will end this recording this very Just kidding. Wow. Okay. That was a good bit, though. <laughs> Welcome to Gamjabar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name's Abu. My name is Leo. And Leo, we're taking a little bit of a break yep. today, a little detour from all of the deep dive lore quagmire that we find ourselves Ugh, in episode after episode. It. Yeah boring <laughs> and instead uh-huh we're gonna talk about a fun dune collectible trading card game <gasps> ever heard of it probably, probably not, not actually <laughs> <laughs> although someone who did hear of it joseph mcgoldrick yes one of our listeners shouted us actually emailed us about doing an episode on the toys and the cards and everything right two years ago <laughs> oh has it so, been that long it has been that long. So it's possible Joseph doesn't even listen to podcasts anymore. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, Maybe he got married, had kids, left that podcast yeah. life behind. Spent time in prison. <laughs> got out of prison. Got back in prison. <laughs> retired. And then yeah. was brought back for one more job. Yes. He was one day from retirement, He was Joseph. one day from retirement, Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But... We're going to be talking about uh, Dune yeah. Eye of the Storm, a collectible card game all about Dune. Mm -hmm. Very, very cool. But before we do, let's do our housekeeping quickly. That's right. That's right. And spoiler warning for today's episode. Yes. We won't necessarily be talking plot points, but we will be talking about some of the characters and some of the vague events that may take place in the first book. So... Just to be absolutely safe, we recommend that you have at least read through the first Dune book so that today's discussion makes the most sense to you. Right. But we aren't really going to be getting into super detailed plot points. It's true. And as always, a huge shout out to our Quisats Hatterack level patrons, Case Saken, Matthew Good. Yes. Gentlemen, you are both five cost ally vassal nabe native cards uh -huh, uh -huh. and your active ability wins the game every time it's so broken you're banned from competitive play because you are just too good right both right of you. you are the exodia <laughs> of the dune yeah. collectible card game or bill from the pokemon card game <laughs> who just drew cards but it was too broken <laughs> incredible something like that incredible anyway thank you gentlemen thank you fellas for your support and thank you to all of our patrons. Your support makes what we do possible. Thank you so much. It does indeed. Okay, with housekeeping out of the way, here is the game plan for today's episode, folks. We will begin the conversation by talking through the basics. What even is this Dune trading card game called Eye of the Storm? Right. And then we'll get into some of the history about how this game came to be 
and why you probably haven't heard of it. <laughs> right. And then finally, to round out the episode, we will be sharing some fun trivia and lore and characters that the card game introduces and that the card game adapts from the series. Indeed, we will. Well, before we get into the bulk of our episode today, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to shuffle our cards and make sure our decks are in order. That's the sound it makes. So don't go anywhere. We're going to take a quick break. And right after this, we'll be back to talk about Eye of the Storm. Shink! <laughs> Why is your deck wet? <laughs> and sloppy. <laughs> Stop shuffling your deck. <laughs> I activate my trap card. <laughs> Welcome back, folks. Let's start by talking about what exactly Eye of the Storm even is. Right. For the folks out there who may not even know that a Dune collectible card game even exists. Now, in the last couple of years, there has been, I would say, sort of a surge in interest in things like Magic the Gathering or Pokemon card games. Yeah. And many Dune fans, I would wager, would be shocked to know that a Dune card game has actually existed for decades. And I include myself in those Dune fans who are shocked to know this even exists. Right. We only found out about it a couple of years ago, back in 2021. And I will say, you've kind of gone hard into it. <laughs> I have not touched the card games at all. You gifted me one that I have back there on the shelf. Yeah. But you, sir, have <laughs> really gone in on the collecting. Yeah. Oh, I may he's have, reaching uh, for it. I may have Show me the spent binder. too much money on these cards. I mean, I only have... Hey! I only have... Hey! most of the cards uh wow. from the first set yeah listen i have never been a fanatic fan of anything until dune so i'm very much enjoying doing the thing that everyone's always done like uh, uh, people my friends have done like yeah collecting baseball cards or like playing fantasy football or whatever yeah. cocaine and doing cocaine you know <laughs> <laughs> the thing that i've always wanted deep down inside that i've never done i've always i'm right there i've got it lined up and then i never do <laughs> but no once i discovered the game existed i think i texted you and then immediately spent like 130 dollars uh, on wow. ebay bids of just any and all cards i could get and i didn't even know at the time anything about the game i was just like dune cards with characters that i like right. there's a paul muadib card there's a chani card fucking send them to me yeah whoever yeah. you are on ebay send them to me right and the reason you're ebaying them oh yes and not just like going to dunecardgame.com and hitting purchase on a deck is because the game has not been in circulation for decades no yeah and whatever cards exist out there are the only ones that now exist out there it's true so truly at this point it is like a collector's item yeah and we'll get into the history of why it no longer exists in a little bit. But quickly, let's give our listeners a brief overview of the game. Sure. Yeah. So the Dune card game, Eye of the Storm, was designed by Owen Saylor at Last Unicorn Games. Alongside just a little known guy named Richard Garfield. Yeah. He's a cat. He's an orange cat. And uh, yeah, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good at making card games and <laughs> very orange. And just so happened to also have designed Magic the Gathering for yeah. the really niche community out there who's maybe heard of that one. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll point out that like a lot of the research for this episode is kind of messy. This was something that was made very clear in a few different places. Yeah. So I feel confident in saying Richard Garfield helped design, but it's also, you don't see his name on credited things as like a co-designer. Right. So it was like consulting and talking with and stuff like that. Just want to make yeah, that Yeah, totally. Owen Saylor was the one who was got the full credit, or at least, for creating the game. Yeah. Now, the game itself is <laughs> incredibly complex, but... The gist was that it would encourage players to carefully manage their resources and tactically plan out their moves and also experiment with different factions and card combinations, much like any other card game out there these days, any other modern card game. Now, part of the reason why you started collecting them, I wager, is because the art that's on these cards is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, yes. And as a Dune fan... What's fun is that there's these little tidbits of lore that are included on the cards as well for both original characters that were created only for the card game, but also for well-known characters like Stilgar, Lady Jessica, Paul Muad'Dib himself. Right, right. And what's fun is if you read the manual, if you are able to get through it somehow <laughs> and understand the game, it does do a pretty impressive job of sort of nailing the subtleties of like Dune politics and subterfuge and making moves against each other that aren't just necessarily I move my army against yours or my right, blue eyes, my right. dragon attacks your Karibo or <laughs> yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. And ultimately, the point of the game is that you are a minor house and you are vying for status as a major house right. in the Imperium. So there's a lot of politics and a lot of factors that go into that. Right. Now, the question of like, why didn't that kick off? That sounds great. <laughs> yeah. That sounds dope. Sounds You're like a, a minor house trying to join the Lancerad. Uh-huh. Fuck Yeah. All of the groundwork's done. Have you heard of Dune? Read it and you know everything you need to know yeah. so far. The problem is the timeline of this game's development, like when the game was made, bad timing. Oh, really bad timing. So that sucks. And the second contributing factor for why this didn't take off was the fact that this game's fucking hard to learn. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. I worked at a board game store uh -huh. where we sold card games and part of our job was playing lots of different card games right. with customers with each other and i gotta say that the rules it's really dense and i it could be a lot of fun but it's one of those games that your friend goes oh it's so easy let me explain to you how to play and then 25 <laughs> minutes later you're like how can i cancel this friendship because yep. i don't want to be a part of this anymore yeah yeah <laughs> And you still don't know how to play. <laughs> like I have, I read through multiple times parts of the manual and it's just, it's brutal. Mm -hmm. So you combine, it's kind of a lose-lose, right? You combine yep. bad timing with really fucking hard to play, kind of a cursed yeah. fate. It didn't land. And actually, let's address both of those two factors a little more deeply. Right. Starting with the timing of the game. Let's jump into the history of how this game was developed and when it came out, because as you said, it is a major factor in why it didn't take off and why it didn't exactly land with audiences. So if we can jump in our time machines and jump all the way back to the ancient year of 1997, oh, so far, which on the Dune timeline is 
11,201 BG. <laughs> Approximately. <laughs> Thanks for doing that math. I don't know. <laughs> it took me like 45 minutes, but I also did it like a year and a half ago. So pff, who knows if it's right? <laughs> yeah. So in 11,201 BG, otherwise known as 1997, the Herbert Estate sold the rights to develop a card game to Last Unicorn Games, the company. Right. And Last Unicorn Games also partnered with Five Rings Publishing Group to co-author and co-develop the Dune card game once they got the rights. Right. Now, originally, the rights included only the 1984 Lynch adaptation, weirdly yeah, enough. like movie tie-in stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's, from my understanding, exactly what the whole purpose of was from the start was like let's yeah. just sell this thing and make money off of it tie it into with the movie to be fair it's like the the david lynch movie or the 1960s sci-fi book it's like yeah more people have heard of the movie yeah so totally. that makes sense and yeah. there was a tie-in comic like the movie got it got a number of tie-ins oh yeah as well. i do own that you own that as well <laughs> luckily later that very same year the rights would be expanded to include all of the Dune novels by Frank Herbert. So they were no longer just fenced in to adapting the 84 Lynch movie. Thank God. Yeah. And ultimately, once the game was designed and released, it used content from the Lynch movie, of course, but also the first three books in the Dune saga. So they, they had access to all of that lore, which is fun. I'm also happy to say no weirding sound guns. Oh. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Who's My name is a killing word. <laughs> now, the concept of the game was pretty simple. The gist is that it takes place right after House Atreides has arrived on Arrakis. And as we explained earlier, each player takes on the role of a minor house attempting to gain rank as a major house and enter the Landsraad. That is the purpose of the game. Right. And the initial release of it included a 301-card set, which was available in six different starter packs, one for each political faction in the game, which is fun. Right. If I had been like a teenager around this time, I would have wanted every fucking faction. Yeah, same. Especially because the like, and I say this as a collector now, some of the cards that are only in the starter decks are really fucking expensive. <laughs> I'm like still waiting on that Lady Jessica. She's like $300 Damn. for a buyer. And I'm like, mm, not going to pull the trigger on that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe someday. Maybe someday. Now, the initial game plan from Last Unicorn Games and Five Rings Publishing yeah. was to update the card game every three months. Yeah. And unfortunately... This plan was almost immediately thrown out the window when a shocking development happened, not soon after release. Oh, no. Stay tuned for the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> On the next episode of this podcast. No, they were bought, basically. Yep, uh, yep. Five Rings Publishing Group and Unicorn Games were bought by Wizards of the Coast. Hello. <laughs> and Wizards of the Coast, if you haven't heard of them, Right. Is responsible for such small time indie titles like uh -huh. Magic the Gathering. Oh, never heard of it. Dungeons and Dragons. Don't even know what that is. It's a Chris Pine movie. Okay. And the Pokemon trading card game. Is that which like is, Digimon kind of? It's like Digimon, but a little bit less known yeah, and way less successful. Got yeah. it. Uh, and also way less cool fucking calling <laughs> yeah. it out. Digimon's fucking rad. Hell yeah, War Greymon for life, bitch. <laughs> and also, uh, what's his fucking name? Bone Great? Dead? 
undead great whatever it's fuck <laughs> so good it's so popular you forgot yeah it's, it's so, so good. good i forgot a bunch of it yeah but yes no wizards of the coast bought them and basically with the acquisition of eye of the storm wizards of the coast was like yo i hear you're doing this like once a quarter update let's try something a little more aggressive let's uh, reinvent the wheel let's try this mm. out i also see this by the way as like a big company prototyping release strategies with a smaller ip mm. yeah less risky yeah yeah because this new strategy how could it fail was called rolling thunder okay how many lasso tigers <laughs> between one and four. Oh no <laughs> i know so there's a chance of failure yeah the idea was every two months, so a little faster, a little more aggressive, new small expansions of the game called Chapters would be released. Mm -hmm. This does kind of work with the theme of this being set in the narrative world of a book, but still. Yeah. It's aggressive. Two months, new cards, new mechanics, every two months, new stuff coming out. And the goal was simple. Like, they wanted to keep the pace of collecting exciting, right? Every 60 days, there are some new cards to grab. Oh, wow. cool. Reason to go to the card store and buy some new cards. And it is fun. It's fun to see new cards from this universe you love. Like, yeah, nothing wrong with that. And competitive players who are finding strategies that work could have endless variation because the sort of competitive meta, the like what works, what doesn't work any given season yeah, would be changing. So new cards come out, new things are more powerful, you now want to have a new deck. So competitive players wouldn't feel that sort of stagnation that is death. Yeah. So as a strategy, on paper, kind of works. Sort of. Yeah. Makes sense to a certain extent. I'm not super familiar with the world of competitive card gaming, but I will say, just on gut instinct alone, yeah. if the meta of a game I was really invested in and spending a ton of money on kept changing every two months i think i would be annoyed fairly quickly you know like if i just perfected my deck and i got that last <laughs> yeah. you know lady jessica card i needed to have the perfect strategy and then like in another month the company releases like an anti-lady jessica card and i'm <laughs> fucked and my whole yeah. deck blows up yeah you know i i'm curious i would love to hear from people who are maybe a little more in touch with the more professional side of card gaming, yeah. how quickly metas like that usually shift. Two months seems fast to me. So I play, I I played Hearthstone for a while, and I played, and I still play Marvel Snap. Mm -hmm. And Marvel Snap releases patches and updates almost monthly. Damn. And the meta changes pretty quickly. And what I'll say is, any given time, and there, there's a reason in competitive play where even if new cards aren't coming out old cards will be banned from play and say so you can't have this card in your deck mm. because it'll be like 95% of decks will have a card in it because it's like if you don't have this card you can't win right it's like the one the one it's yeah. Lady Jessica or whatever right so what that monthly shifting allows them to do is say like I'll play Marvel Snap and be like god I'm so tired of this type of deck that everyone I play is using this fucking deck. It's so boring playing this deck. And a month later, I'm welcome back into the fold because now that deck doesn't work as well because of X, Y, and Z. I see. It does work. So rather than being like seismic shifts, yeah, it's like little nudges to continuously sort of like balance the, yeah. the ball a little bit. 
And it will be like an anti-Jessica card that's released in the case of like physical cards. But when you go to a competitive scene or you're playing with people and let's say you're playing this card game three times a week for like four hours a day and every deck you play against has Jessica, you're like, well, I'd love to try out cool new decks, but I can't because I don't have a counter to Jessica. And then uh, Wizards of yep. the Coast is like That's rolling true. thunder time, <laughs> anti-Jessica <laughs> card. And you're like, whoa, yay. So again, on paper, it works and it has been done well since. <laughs> but there is a couple of problems with this strategy. And namely, the two big reasons this strategy failed were first, the boosters, there weren't enough cards being released that they could, like P- Pokemon does, say, here's... 150 new cards that you get they had to like sprinkle the new cards in with the old cards so you buy a booster of 15 cards and you get a ton of duplicates oh so collecting was a pain in the ass Uh... and it still fucking is god (laughs) bless it lord i keep oh i it's it's fine anyway Uh the second reason (laughs) (laughs) we just come down from this emotional high Uh, The second reason was the game was already very dense. Something like Pokemon, something like Marvel Snap, you can learn to play in like 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. This game (laughs) took years, a doctorate program. It Uh took a bachelor in the sciences and also, I don't know, a master's in metaphysics to understand how to play the game fully and to like really get into the depth and the strategy and everything. So the fact that every two months the meta was shifting. Right. When you need a four-year degree to understand the game (laughs) was not a good strategy. Yeah. That sort of shifting meta is good for a simpler game, for a more complicated game. You're absolutely right. Maybe six months would have been more appropriate. Or maybe, you know, (laughs) every 10 years they could release two (laughs) new cards and it would change everything. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, at the end of the day, it was ultimately a lose-lose strategy, right? Making it overly complex, making the meta constantly shift in a way that was impossible to understand and then basically not releasing enough cards like all of these duplicates and making the collectible aspect of you know the collectible card game a chore kind of was the death knell for this card game right right and you know there were plans like wizards of the coast and five rings publishing had expansions planned for 1999 but Unfortunately, those expansions never even completely released because the game was canceled in 1998 before those planned expansions could even come out and possibly revive or save the game in some way. And that's kind of where the history of this card game ends, is it was launched in 1997, was out there for a year, and before it could even reach the iconic year of 1999, (laughs) it was dead in the water. I will say they did successfully launch two complete sets. So for anybody who looks this up on like eBay or looks this up and decides they want to have some, there are two sets, Judge of the Change and Thunder at Twilight, which specifically covered some additional narrative beats of Dune, just so you know. Right. But these were two more, right, for 999. And then there were two additional past that. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Covering, I think it's like the rise of the second moon. Yeah which was about like later events in the book and stuff yeah. like that. But yeah. anyway, you're right. So there were two planned that didn't happen. There were two that did happen. So the overall unique cards, it's like 
maybe 500, 600 cards, something like that. Wow. Total, if we combine all of the sets available. Now, that was <laughs> aspect number one, right? That yeah. history. History. Yeah. That was the reason the game is still not around today and wasn't super popular. Aspect number two, and we've touched on this a couple of times, is just how complex this game was to play. And at one point, we did consider, like, maybe let's try to explain it on this episode. Yeah. And that quickly became a futile effort because we'd be here for like three hours and it still wouldn't make sense to anyone. Yeah. And yeah. it would be so granular and it it just like would make no sense to sit here and talk about how to exactly play the game beat by beat. So instead, what we're going to try to do is just give you like the most bare bones basic of overviews, just so you have a simple idea, give you some examples of the types of cards that you could play and just keep it yeah. basic for now. If you're interested, the manual is out there if you feel like reading a textbook. Yeah. I actually, I just Googled Dune Eye of the Storm rules. And the first link is vintagecg.com rules manual. And it's literally a PDF of the the entire 72 page rule manual. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So Um, that's out there if you're feeling like you really hate yourself today if you want to get a minor degree in (laughs) a card game that hasn't been relevant for 30 years yeah so let's talk about gameplay now you start off preparing for play and this involves getting kind of gathering materials for gameplay and building your house are kind of the two major components here yep and there are exaggerating only just a tiny bit uh-huh. like 17 types of tokens and additional <laughs> pieces you need to play uh-huh. which is awful right but building your house is actually kind of fun mm-hmm. because there's a form on page 71 of the game manual that has you guides you through you decide on a house name um again this is a minor house so then you choose one of the six imperial powers as like a sponsor so you're like a house miner sponsored by house atreides or you're a house miner sponsored by emperor carino or whatever right Mm -hmm. you choose a home world which is also cool and you choose a deck construction which i think then was a little bit limited or things were like empowered by what sponsor you had yeah now when the game actually starts the turns are broken into three phases. This is very common in card games out there. There's an opening interval, there's a house interval, and a closing interval. And like a lot of card games, certain actions and card types can be played in each of these three phases. And obviously the strategy is knowing when and where and how to play certain cards during certain intervals and predicting when your opponent will do the same. Yeah. Now... Unlike most card games, the strategies <laughs> yeah. involved in each of these intervals and the cards you could play were incredibly convoluted and only got more so as more cards were released and the meta continued to shift and evolve. Right. I mean, even just as an example, like you can play a card or you can put it in a subdued state and then it gets deferment tokens that then like time out or something. And it's like... Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh, I don't understand a word <laughs> I, you just fucking understand. said. <laughs> what could any of that possibly mean? <laughs> and then, like, none of it was explained well in the rule anyway. So, yes, <laughs> it was incredibly convoluted. And also, there's like bidding systems. You don't just play cards because this is the Imperium. You can't just like play Mala pistols. Yeah. You have to buy them from the supplier. For, so, it's like oh, all bidding gosh. and it's, yeah. it's so complicated. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah but yeah. 
You're absolutely right. So this is right. not like most card games. Things were, but that's where strategy lives if it's done well. And that's the big if. But regarding the types of cards you might be drawing or playing, we basically have five basic types. Holdings, which are like planets or territories. Personas, aka fucking people. Just use the word characters. <laughs> the I don't characters. like yeah. yeah, personas. Nice. You made it more complicated with a word. Uh, resources, plans, which are like action cards, I guess, or like do things, and events. Which are also, which are like, also action cards like action things, maybe? Yeah, <laughs> but, but different events, things. <laughs> events change the battlefield. I Plans see. are something you're doing. Uh, uh-huh, anyway. Uh-huh. Now, some of those are more or less self-explanatory. Uh, but to give you an idea of like holdings might be, we have uh, this example. This is Tupil. Uh, right? A handful of spice will buy a house in Tupil. That's right. The Sanctuary Planet. Now, this is the Spacing Guild Homeworld Fief. That is a five-cost card and produces Solaris. It just produces money. So this is a resource right. that's being generated by that holding. And and this is why I think is really cool. Tupil, the homeworld fief, cannot be the target of a battle, huh. which I vaguely understand what that means, but is clearly a reference to the fact that the Tupil planet in Dune is a hidden location that right. nobody can it's find it, except for the sanctuary girl. planet. Yeah. It's a sanctuary planet. So the idea of like, this cannot be the target of anything because you don't know where it is. Right. I'm like, oh, that's kind of neat. That's like a cool application of Dune lore to yeah. card game strategy, I guess. Yeah, totally. Totally. Or for instance, an example of a plans card. And I mentioned plans are like things that you're doing. I think events are more things like Coriolis Storm, things that like uh, have an effect on the whole I see. play mat maybe. But right. plans, here's one, false allegations, Ooh. which is kind of fun. This is a zero cost tactic card that basically allows you to discard a card from your hand and whatever the like deployment cost of that card is, you get to decrease a rival player's imperial favor by that cost. What the fuck are these sentences you're saying? Yeah, I know. But <laughs> because we're like vying for imperial favor. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. It's like, yo, Abu, uh, let me just like discard Lady Jessica. She's like a four cost card. Abu is four points less favorable. Take that up. And you're like, it's fucking false allegations, man. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm sure there are ways of countering cards and stuff like that. But that's an yeah. example of one of the plans kind of right. tactic cards. Right. Now, <laughs> obviously, the big question is, how do you win this damn game? Right? Right. You win the game when one player has accrued 10 favor points and 10 spice units yeah. and is thus admitted as a great house. Or when one player eliminates everybody else on the board. Right. And all of this genuinely like sarcasm aside sounds interesting and fun yeah yeah yeah. yeah. if i could understand half of what you were saying right like <laughs> if i could yeah. even begin to interpret this it sounds like a really fun concept and uh, i'm not saying like card games have to be like dumb and easy to play right like complexity is what makes a lot of games like this a lot of board games fun but i think there is a very delicate balancing act of like cost of entry, cost of understanding yeah. initially versus yeah. complexity as you get deeper and deeper into it. And obviously 
people who play a lot of board games or card games out there know this is like you got to be able to learn the game yeah, yeah quickly so that you can start playing it and then it gets its hooks in you and then you start looking up the yeah you know the 4d chess strategies and how to how to play it and and how to make it more complex and i think ultimately eye of the storm utterly failed in the cost of entry part <laughs> of the yeah, equation yeah it's for people who are very already technically knowledgeable about card games and yes. who want that deep knowledge. Yes. But like, if that's not your target demographic, like it's just a small Venn diagram of like uh -huh. Dune fans who are also already very technically advanced card game players. Right. Because you're also right. Like you out there in listener land, if you love board games and you love this stuff and you're hearing us talk about this, like, it's so complicated. And you're like, it's not that complicated. I play fucking whatever, you know, nine hour tabletop campaign game that you play. Like, yeah, it may not be complicated to you, but you also know that with your friend group, if you have friends who are like, oh, let's play board games and they're not super into that stuff, there are board games that you will not recommend to them. <laughs> right, right. There are board game nights and then there are board game nights you yeah, know and there are board game months you know and <laughs> there's a difference <laughs> there's a big difference right you're not gonna like whip out gloomhaven with your aunt and uncle and try to play sure. through like a nine-hour campaign in in gloomhaven or something like is scythe one scythe is one right? scythe is another very complex one yeah yeah i heard someone say oh do you want to learn scythe it'll only take us nine hours to play and i was yeah, like exactly no <laughs> and this dune card game certainly falls in the second category Totally. You're, this is not something you're playing with your grandma. Right. No matter how much she loves to. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so that is sort of an overview and a deep dive into the history of the game and some examples of why it didn't catch on as much as perhaps the developers would have hoped. It really failed in some of those key aspects in hooking players. And it was quite short-lived, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Now, we are going to get into some of the fun lore and characters that these cards introduce. But before we do that, let's take a quick breather. Don't go anywhere, dear listener, because there's a couple more geeky little things to talk about with this card game. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you had a good time. Hope you didn't get hit by a Coriolis storm, <laughs> get false allegations accused against you. <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about the kind of trivia and lore and art that this game introduced. Right. So on the topic of the art, we wanted to shout out the incredible artists because mm -hmm. although the game was based roughly on the visuals and aesthetics of the David Lynch movie, you know, you'll notice like Paul Atreides looks a lot like uh, Kyle McLaughlin or yeah. Kyle McLaughlin. Is that him? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of those actors kind of are a little bit in the cards. Yeah. They, instead of any kind of photos, like, you know, a lot of tie-in card games might have used photos or kind of cheaper things. They actually opted for original paintings. Wow. For almost every card. Wow. And it's really cool. You know, actually, from The Duelist, the old magazine from the... 90s i shouldn't say old <laughs> i'm from before that uh the ancient thing and i'm even older than that the duelist is a magazine from the 90s mm -hmm. but this is issue number 18 printed august 1st of 1997 page 83 quote 
Dune is licensed from the 1984 David Lynch film adaptation of Frank Herbert's novels, but the cards feature paintings, not photos. Five Rings' Daniel Landers says, quote, quote, no, Gurney Halleck doesn't look like Star Trek captain Jean-Luc Picard, end quote. Wow. I love that, actually. (laughs) It's pretty great. And, you know, we've talked about it, but Lynch didn't necessarily adapt Dune, quote unquote, you know, like I I almost feel like these card game creators were like, um, we'll borrow some (laughs) ideas, but like, we have some better ideas. (laughs) That's very true. Now, in fact, Gurney, and I I think this is worth applauding, really, is super ugly. (laughs) Incredible. Gurney's character art looks like, quote, an ugly lump of a man, end quote. And if you didn't know, I was quoting Dune just now. Gurney Halleck is supposed to be kind of ugly. Yeah. Making this card game adaptation probably one of the most lore accurate versions of Gurney Halleck ever. LOL. Yeah. And naturally, that's one example. But right. across the board, the card art is beautiful. And this is a big reason why I started collecting the collection. Yeah. If it were just like shitty tie-in photos, you know, McDonald's Happy Meal versions of these cards, <laughs> I'd have not. Yeah, I like I might have bought in one pack to say that I owned a couple, and then I would have moved on. Yeah. But like legitimately, you know, the Gom Jabbar card looks fucking dope. The Chris mm-hmm. Knife card looks dope. Machines of X card looks dope. Like these are cool looking cards that speak to a universe that I love. So really wonderful for sure and actually some of the artists have large format scans of their paintings online yeah they're gorgeous we will link some of these galleries in the show notes Mm -hmm. so if you want to see mark zug or randy asplin's galleries you can find those in the show notes if you want to browse through some uh dune paintings definitely and you should they're absolutely gorgeous yeah I mean, some of them are like wacky and weird and very 90s, but most of them are very gorgeous paintings. I also did find, like, there were so many painters, like, listed. And actually, in the Dune manual, it's like illustrators, and then there's like 40 names. It's (laughs) wild how many artists they got involved. And certainly, like any, like, Magic the Gathering is the same, you'll find certain artists you really like. Mark Zug is fucking awesome. Oh, like, yeah. I might just be a Mark Zug fan now. <laughs> because anytime I saw a painting and I was like, this is so beautiful, I would check the artist and it's always Mark Zug. Yeah. You're part of that Zug clan. Cool. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Zugger. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's talk about some of these cards a bit more in detail because a lot of them are characters that we know. And of course, we as Dune fans know a lot about the characters themselves from Frank's book. We know a lot about that lore. Right. But there's always a challenge in adaptation, and in particular, adapting these characters into a card game that somewhat (laughs) makes sense and follows a dense 72-page manual. So we thought it would be fun to share some of our favorites and talk about some of their card attributes, because it's interesting to see how they were adapted. I love these so much. (laughs) So beginning with our guy, Paul Mwadib Atreides, Uh in Eye of the Storm, he is a four-cost ally noble air card mm-hmm. and he is given three talents his talents are dueling weirding and prescience and paul's card has this ability that allows you to examine face down cards on the field 
which can give you some insight into future turns, right? It may give you a clue as to what your opponent is about to do or the strategy that they are setting up for a couple of plays down the line. Right. Which is fun. Yeah. I think that like is really in line with Paul himself lore-wise, right? He's an excellent duelist thanks to his training. He has the weird in combat thanks to his mother. And of course, the thing that makes Paul Paul is his prescient abilities. It's true. And the face-down cards... There's a mechanic where you can play a card face down to use in a later turn. So exactly right. Like, I might play a card now that's going to really catch you off guard three turns from now. And Paul's out here, like, having a dream about it because you got the Paul card. And now you're like, oh, shit, I know that you played a Mala Pistol or whatever. Right. Like, if if you knew your opponent was going to play Pot of Greed in three (laughs) turns. To draw three (laughs) additional cards. cards. Nice. Yeah. You'd be ready for it. (laughs) Paul would allow you to be ready for it. Indeed. Next up, we have Duncan Idaho. Ever heard of him? He's a three-cost vassal swordmaster uh-huh. with the talents, dueling, and battle. Okay. On brand. I wanted to note here that his dueling is higher than Gurney Halleck's. Oh. But his battle is lower than Gurney Halleck's. So, like, between the two, he focuses on dueling. Gurney Halleck focuses on battle regarding, like... Fun strategy and stuff like yeah. that. This is cool, right? This is right. Duncan Idaho who kills 18 Sardaukar by himself is more of the personal kicking ass dude versus Gurney Halleck is the one whose battle strategy is so iconic and, right. and masterful that he's known for it. Right. So here we have a difference between these two cards because they have the same talents. Totally. Gurney is the one planning the 18 step maneuver. Right. Whereas Duncan is the one taking down 18 Sardaukar by himself. Indeed. And his card ability is also very cool and very appropriate to character. Allows him to sleep with any card on the field. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> he can just... any. He's like, he right. slept with that Coriolis store. Right. He slept with that Spice Harvester yeah. effect. No, no, no. Yeah, y'all, <laughs> y'all think we invented Gurney Halleck fucks? No, no, no. We stole it from Eye of the Storm. The card yeah. says he fucks. Gurney Halleck and Duncan Idaho, both cards fuck. <laughs> it's on the card. Pay two deferment tokens to subdue any card sexually. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's all jokes. Uh, his card ability allows him to counter any dueling right, which I don't know what that is, targeting an Atreides person. Ah, uh, okay. So my understanding is, and this might be totally off, but again, you fucking read the rule book and email us. <laughs> uh, the, my idea is, you, you, like, let's say I target Paul or I target Duke Leto, and you can then use Duncan Idaho to counter that dueling right because he's loyal to House Atreides, and he can he can insert himself into those efforts. Right. I thought it was very cool. Very on brand. Next up, we wanted to talk about Count Fenring's card very quickly. He is a four-cost noble count, and his talents are dueling and intrigue. Again, very on brand. Mm-hmm. And he can counter duels targeting Carino people. So sort of the inverse of Duncan being able to counter it for Atreides, Count Fenring can do it for Carino. Right. What's interesting is his dueling talent is actually higher ranked than both Paul's and Duncan's, which is an interesting choice lore-wise. Do we agree with that? I don't know. I don't know either. But that's what this card says, that Count Fenring... According to his point distribution, could outduel 
Paul and Duncan. I mean, listen, we don't see him in the book throw hands. True. Maybe he doesn't need to. Maybe he doesn't need to. But we are told that he had the ability to win in a fight against Paul. This is true. So, and if Paul is more or less on par with Duncan at his peak, I mean, listen, maybe. Maybe. Also, Count Fenring's card calls him one of the best sword, swordsmen in the universe, which again, I'm like, is he? But also, I guess he kind of is by like logical deduction. But that's also, it's like the game designers are reading between the lines of the book, yeah. which is, which which is, is cool. really fun. Yeah, it's not just taking like, and he said this line from the book. It's like, no, they actually did think about these characters and what yeah, they do. Yeah, for sure. And then finally, we wanted to talk about Jessica, which I thought this was so fucking rad. Uh-huh. Jessica is a four-cost noble sister adept. Uh, sorry, noble sister adept. <laughs> Those are three different adjectives. Uh, with the talents, weirding and intrigue. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. And the ability to counter any right. So any targeted thing, I guess, except for outright battle, which okay. seems to be kind of a theme of the Benny Gesserit cards. Now, notably, she is actually a Benny Gesserit Allegiance card. Okay. Unless Paul or Leto are in play. Ooh. At which point she is an Atreides Allegiance card. Damn. Okay. With plus two resistance. Hello. So, Jessica, loyal to the sisterhood, unless Paul or Leto are involved. Right. At which point. She is loyal to the Atreides. She's loyal to them. And she is more resistant. Incredible. Ugh. Very cool. I love it. Love always wins. Love always wins and gives plus two resistance, <laughs> as it turns out. So, <laughs> folks, if you're out there and you're in love and you're ever feeling like you're about to get beaten up by Gurney Halleck with a mala pistol, right. just remember that you're in love. All right. It'll you're give you love. two resilience. <laughs> <laughs> Now, outside of the character cards, we're talking a bit about how the developers interpreted the lore of the game, right? Oh my God, there yeah. is a fun little section yeah. Yeah. that clues us in on perhaps the economics of Dune. So yeah. Yeah. On, on page 70 of the manual, there's yeah. this fun little cutout, this little like application yeah. to the Landsrod Council. Which you can do. Like the, the idea was it was like a subscription service for people who played the card game mm -hmm. who wanted to be on a council registry of other people who are part of the card game. It's like oh, fun. a way to build community. Yeah. So this is a literal cutout of a thing that you could then put with a money order or a check or cash right. in an envelope and send wow. to the like Lance Red Council address Damn. in fucking Washington. Like Burbank, California or something <laughs> yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, wow, that's where the Lance Red Council headquarters is, huh? Cool. Oh, interesting. That's fun. Yeah. That's how you signed up for a subscription's pre-internet, I guess. You don't yeah. just face ID on your phone. Yeah. <laughs> so this little application in the back of the manual reads, quote, Enlist your house in the Landstrad Council, the official players association for Dune Eye of the Storm. Your quarterly subscription of the Landstrad Registry includes information about future expansions, frequently asked questions, errata clarifications, house rules, email addresses of council members, and tournament schedules, end quote. So really like a full-on subscription service building the community around this game. Yeah. Now, the most interesting part of this is that 
there's a fee listed, right? Yeah. How much does this subscription service cost? Right. It costs, quote, 10,000 solaris, parentheses, <laughs> $15 for U.S. residents or $25 for outside residents, end quote. Yeah. I... <laughs> <laughs> I posted about this in the Discord. It sent you down a fucking rabbit hole, yeah. I know. I couldn't help it. <laughs> this, because again, keep in mind, this is an officially licensed product with the Herbert Estate in the 90s. Is it establishing canon? Probably not. But... <laughs> I would, yeah, I would say definitely not. But <laughs> Well, whatever. I mean, they had, to, they had to talk to the Herbert Estate, and we know that they say no to a bunch of shit. So, like, True. you know, this is... As close as I've ever seen to an actual first, like a primary source comparison of Solaris, the yeah. Dune currency, to U.S. dollars. So I did some calculations. Okay. I went down a rabbit hole. I can't help it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Adjusting for inflation, by the way. Oh, my uh, gosh. Yep. $15 U.S. is like 28 U.S. today. So, which is okay. crazy, but whatever. Okay. Why is my paycheck not... Five times as big. What the fuck? Yeah. Why am I not five times smarter? <laughs> um, which then I kind of made a broad assumption, and this is a big assumption, that the galactic currency would probably be a little bit more resistant to inflation and resistant to these sort of like microeconomic forces. Okay. I'm assuming the Solaris are basically the same. I didn't want to like adjust for inflation for Solaris because I don't know how to do that. <laughs> that means that... <laughs> The member of the tribe Patreon tier. <laughs> okay. On our Patreon. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Five dollars. Is six thousand two hundred and thirty three Solaris. Oh. So if you wanted to know how much getting ad free episodes and extra blooper clips and everything yeah. is in Solaris, I can tell you with almost because okay, wait, wait, wait. Another thing. If you Google how much is a Solaris worth, you'll see lots of claims that it's like, oh, equivalent to a dollar in the seventies. I couldn't find any fucking sources. Excuse me. Link your right. sources. Right. What are you basing that on? And I'm like, well, here I am basing it on a thing that at least in 97 or 98 had the like Herbert Estate seal of approval, which is more than we can say about the Dune Encyclopedia. So like, come on. I think that's pretty good. 6,233 sure. sure. Solaris for, uh, uh, you know member of the member of the tribe patreon tier yeah which is by the way the same as a cup of coffee so if you want to spend wow. six thousand solaris on a cup of coffee it's that's that makes it sound way worse than just five dollars <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that's send that's us your six thousand solaris send us your six thousand it's okay if you if you ever want to feel better about it just calculate your paycheck in solaris it's great uh yeah 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 there you go it was about 1246 solaris per dollar Incredible. I shouldn't remember that number. But, <laughs> but you do. It's not useful. It's not even in the script. <laughs> I just pulled that out. Yeah, uh, that, I'm shocked that nowhere in the script does it say that number. You just know that intrinsically. Okay, to end our conversation today, we thought it would be fun to talk about some of the unique characters that yeah. we don't see in the books at all that only exist in Eye of the Storm. Yeah. They were created exclusively for this card game. They're so cool. And there's a there's a huge laundry list of them, of course, but we are going to share just a handful of some of our favorites and some of the more interesting ones that lead us to think, what if? Yeah. What if they were real? This is was it two, four characters and I think four HBO miniseries pitches. Yeah, for real. Definitely. 
So first up, we have a character called Sister Baruna. Mm-hmm. And Sister Baruna is a Bene Gesserit Mentat. Whoa. And the Proctor of the Panoplia. Dang. The card says, quote, Assigned to the Sharia projects, Sister Baruna often lectures on the taming of planets through superstitious ritual. End quote. Yes. Very cool. cool for yeah. a couple of reasons. First of all, we don't have many examples of Bene Gesserit Mentats in the books themselves. Right. So the fact that Sister Baruna exists in this card game and is another example of one is interesting and makes her quite unique. Yeah. Secondly, the fact that she's clearly monitoring the Missionaria Protectiva, the thing that sets <laughs> Paul and Jessica up to survive among the Fremen in the desert and molds the Fremen mm-hmm. to believe in the prophet. Incredible. Yeah. Sister Baruna was very much involved with the Missionaria Protectiva, and it's clear that she really put that Mentat slash Benny Gesserit training to use in quote-unquote taming planets through superstitious rituals. Very easy to believe that she would exist in the Dune universe. She fits right in. Yeah. And cool also to think about the Bene Gesserit using their Mentat-trained members as in that role, very intentionally. It's like, yeah. we need someone to set that stuff up? Cool. Let's get someone with Mentat training. Totally. Next up, we have Lita Banfi. There's an apostrophe. How do you handle that? A name that starts with an apostrophe. I've never seen that in my life. Okay. I, didn't, I thought that was a typo, actually. I didn't know that no, was intentional. That's in her name. <laughs> uh, Lita Banfi is an Arrakis native and member of the Water Peddlers Union. So the union of water sellers. Mm-hmm. And she looks fucking awesome. Yeah. Woo. She looks so goddamn cool. From her card, quote, One of the lesser water magnets of Carthage. Lita is known to employ terror tactics and hired saboteurs, end quote. Nice. Uh, she looks like someone who fucking... She looks like she can employ some terror tactics, right? For real, yeah. She's... Her arms are absolutely shredded. She's like charging forward in this card in the art. She's got She's these leather Naruto pants. running. Yeah, nar- full on Naruto <laughs> running with a giant Chris knife in her hand. Uh, wow, badass. Flowing like pitch black hair. Yeah. Leather pants, maybe waist-high leather boots. Who's to say? (laughs) So fucking cool looking. Wow, badass. She's great. So based solely on her art, she deserves her own miniseries. But also just the idea of a water magnet, water seller, you know, employing terror tactics and saboteurs in Carthag, the like metropolis run by House Harkonnen. Fucking dope. Dope. Hella cool. Very cool. Next up, we have a character called Zenzi Butte, and that might sound familiar to some folks. <gasps> oh my gosh. Because Zenzi is the niece of Lingar Butte, that water shipper who was causing all of those problems at the dinner table <laughs> in Arakeen Palace. Yeah. And the dinner yeah. scene in the book. So Zenzi's card says, quote, Mistress of the Desert Sipwell, Zenzi's Pleasure Cafe is a reputed cover operation for various black market feelings and quote oh my god pleasure cafe okay <gasps> wait i'm gonna open this card and look at the yard hello yeah dude what i'm feeling feelings for zenzi butte yo by the way check out the artist it's very tiny mark zug mark zug mark the zugmeister pulling zugmeister. it again incredible art is 
beautiful. It's just kind of she's very, she's leaning against this doorway. She's got half of her body is outside of the pleasure cafe, I guess, and it's like yeah. kind of cold and blue light. And she's kind of against the wall. She's very sensuous looking. And behind her, in the pleasure cafe, these warm tones. Yeah. Very scantily clad women, but you know, tasteful, sensual, tasteful. on these like warm carpets with draperies and pillows. Right. And it's like, oh my God, yeah, sold. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, Siri I love that. Directions. And another character that I think fits so nicely into the established story. Yeah. It's not hard to imagine that. Lingar Butte has family and relationships and that Zenzi Butte plays a role within sort of the systems of Arrakis, right? Like Lingar Butte is a water shipper. He's sort of like a upper crust of society kind of guy. He wouldn't be at the Atreides dinner if he wasn't. Right. And I'm sure his niece through those very connections is also playing a role within Arrakis society. And clearly she has chosen the more covert black market yeah. route. I just love the idea also of these like crime organizations and like black market dealings mm -hmm. on Arrakis and then how that's covered up. You're not going to have like a dry cleaning shop that never gets any customers, right? Or maybe you will, but realistically, everything's dry cleaning on Arrakis. <laughs> <laughs> Famously. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was a P.F. Chang's many years ago, right across from my old apartment, and I never once saw any customers walk in there. But I very much saw drug deals happening there all the time. So, you know, there you go. They exist in the real world. So I like <laughs> the idea of them existing in Dune as well. And yeah. getting these specifics is wonderful, especially when they look so good. Again, this art is just incredible. Yeah. Shouts. And the final person we have is Darva Glenn. Mm -hmm. And Darva Glenn is a fucking fascinating character uh, who also deserves her own miniseries. Now, she is an Arrakis native. She's a trained mentat oh. and works for the Spice Miners Guild. Wow. From her card, quote, raised under the Harkonnen regime, Darva now fights tyranny with tyranny. End oh. quote. <laughs> I, the, okay, a few reasons to love this. First of all, it is cool to see various types of mentats, right? We always see mentats in these like, you know, Thufir Hawat or Piter Tavrai these big house major houses and naturally yes they have mentats yeah. but something like the spice miners guild who probably also does have money to afford a business expense like hiring a mentat hell yeah that makes sense and it's cool to see some maybe not like royal house mentats yeah also it makes sense that the spice miners guild who is so focused on Arrakis and this Arrakis operation would want someone who is a native who mm -hmm. has experience on planet and maybe mm -hmm. personal connections and familiarity with that data set. And also it's just cool to think about someone an Arrakis native seeking out Mentat training or even being selected for Mentat training. Yeah. Fucking why not? Yeah. If you can pass the test, you can pass the test. Hell yeah. Super, super cool. Also, again, character art, fucking rad. Yeah. She's got like white hair, this dope kind of tiger print orange jumpsuit. <laughs> and she's holding scrolls. Has right. to be. Look Has at all to that be. data. Mentat. Mentat. She's, she's a nerd. Uh, but looks very formidable. Almost like a military collar under her jumpsuit. Yeah. 
and yeah. in front of this beautiful ornate wall. Right. David Cherry is the artist. Nice. I don't know if we've mentioned it, but the art's fucking beautiful. The have we said beautiful. that yet on the episode? I don't think we have. <laughs> hey, everybody, the art, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. All right. So those are just some of the unique characters and cards that were introduced for the game itself. But definitely all of them feel like they would slot very nicely into the universe. And it's clear that the creators had a love and passion for Dune and were able to read in between the lines and interpret Frank's story in a fun way where they could even come up with their own characters that felt like they were already part of Dune. Yeah. And I'll say, you know, we're, we're about to wrap up and I want to ask you a question, Abu, kind mm-hmm. of a fun question. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll also say quickly, I think in this era of like Marvel Snap and there's a DC card game that's like happening right now. Yeah. And there's there was Gwent and there was Hearthstone and there was, well, what's it called? Artifact was one. Right. There's There's a lot of these like digital card game, computer card game games. And there are unannounced Dune video games coming up. I would fucking love to see something like this, like a fast, easy to get into game that uses these characters and maybe even just simplifies some of these card mechanics, right? Duncan Idaho being able to auto defend Atreides with extra resilience or Jessica switching allegiance if someone's in play. Like these ideas in a faster, easier to get into mechanic game would be fucking awesome. And I think all of that to say for our listeners if something like that comes along, oh, please support it. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. that sounds so dope to me. Yeah. And if you're still kind of feeling like an itch, like you want to know more about this game, there's a lot of resources online. Check it out. There's also cards you can get, which is very cool. Yeah. And if you uh, yeah. find a Planet Caladan card, fucking let me know. <laughs> yeah. Now, every couple of weeks, I pull up the Dune board games that are out there. Dune Imperium just got another, uh, like a sequel announcement. Yeah. And I'm always just like, I put her in my Amazon cart and then I take it back out and then I put it back in and then I take it back out. Like there, there's some cool stuff being made and I think a card game would be so fun. Something that's a little more simplified than this yeah. and a little more accessible would be super cool. And I think that's the thing that a lot of games are getting right these days is you don't need to pay a bunch of money to start playing Hearthstone. You don't need to pay a bunch of money to start playing even like the Magic the Gathering free, like free to play online game. Like there's the barrier to entry is very low economically as well. And then Mm -hmm. you can like pay to get new cards or whatever cosmetics and stuff. So like, I think with this modern equation, there's, it's just a ripe field waiting for someone to do it. And we know Shiro games and a couple and like Funcom have some outstanding games that they haven't announced yet. I'm pulling, I'm pulling for a uh, fast card game, digital (laughs) <laughs> video game card game deck building would be dope would be great that would be fun that'd be fun but hey let's look at this wrap-up question because kind of related let's say they do let's say they make a fun computer card game okay and they go well how should we expand these characters we should include uh what's the number one dune podcast in the world what's uh-huh, that called uh-huh. oh yeah gom yeah. jabbar yeah 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 uh god we should put the hosts in as Hello. cards yes we should make cards for the hosts so obviously we don't know what that would look like but if you were an eye of the storm card abu mm. if you were a playable eye of the storm card yeah walk me through your card deets tell me about the playable <laughs> abu uh ally card yeah excellent excellent well first of all mark suck would have to do my art 
Mm. I will accept no other. <laughs> so sensual, half naked <laughs> in a doorway, just like caressing. It has to be sensual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A book in one hand, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so here, here are my card details. Yeah. It would be Abu Zafar, technician. Mm, cool. I'm really leaning into my previous life as a uh, tech support guy. <laughs> yeah. Now, I would come at a high cost. I'd be a four cost card. Would expect nothing less. Yeah. My allegiance would be to House X, which ties oh. into my knowledge of technical things. Yeah, computers and phones. Yeah. My talents, though, would be intrigue and prescience. Oh. Which I cool. think is a fun combination. Like, I can almost predict what your computer, what your MacBook will do <laughs> before you even know it. I mean, you did text me, do you want to do a Dune podcast when Dune was not popular yet? Mm. So, Yeah, a little bit of reading in between the lines and connecting some dots. There you are. Yeah. Now, the effects that my card would have would be, once you play me, I give you plus two item maintenance. So, like, plus two, like, any mechanical uh-huh. or technical cards that you play yeah are are given like a bonus nice cool however the other effect i have is minus one patience for every goddamn password reset that i have to do for someone (laughs) yeah i will say every time someone plays a password reset card he got a dock a patience point yeah (laughs) now when it comes to my resistance traits um they'd be pretty low like i think i'd have only like a resistance of like one uh-huh. You know, and, and probably like the best thing I could do is like take someone in a, in a thumb war. Yeah. But beyond that, you could probably pat me a little too hard on the back and knock me over. So that's my card. Abu, the technician, four cost, house allegiance with intrigue and prescience. And I'm helping you maintain your technology, but don't ask me to reset your goddamn <laughs> password. Pretty dang good. I also just looked it up. The Atreides propagandist is, is even at a two. <laughs> So that's uh, I'm weaker than the propaganda folks. Yeah, yeah right. but he probably has to throw hands when people are like, we of don't course. want your fucking brochures. And he's like bobbing. In the oh, yeah? yeah. Now you have what? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> playing. All right. What cards. about you? What would your eye of the storm card be? And what would your traits be? Oh, um, my 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 card would be uh, Leo Wiggins. Obnoxious host. <laughs> Uh, just talks a lot. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, it'd be a it would be a two cost card. Okay, coming in a little cheaper. Affordable. Yeah, affordable. Smuggler allegiance. Mm, Without I love a the doubt, smugglers. I do love the smugglers. Uh, now my talents would be in intrigue and arbitration. I uh-huh. think that I'm a, a solid uh-huh. communicator. Uh-huh. I think and figuring stuff out. You know, sneaking. Yeah, being yeah. Stealthy. I agree with that. And uh, my card ability would be something like quote i wrote this down it's quite funny quote add plus two pages of script to the episode for every research rabbit hole in play wow that one is spot on i will say (laughs) so if you were if your deck was built around getting through a script quickly the other player just has to play rabbit holes and then my character is like I should try to calculate two more pages today's date in fucking BG. <laughs> yeah. 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 Love it. Love it. Uh, oh, and then my resistance would be zero. Don't look at me or I'll fall. fall <laughs> <laughs> if, if you suggest that there's confrontation between us, I lose. Uh, yeah. So yeah. yeah. Well, look, look, podcast hosts <laughs> aren't exactly known for 
for the number of wins they got in the octagon, you know? That's that's true. And, and then those who are, overlap. those are terrible podcasts that full of weird shit going on. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't you, you're either You're either good in the octagon or you're a good podcast host. You are not both. Yeah. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> All of the memes about shitty podcasts are like uh, guys who can probably throw hands pretty well. Yeah, definitely. That's well, fun. That's our episode. I think that, that uh, wraps up play. Someone's got 10 favor tokens and 10 yeah, spice tokens. And that's right. Now it's time to count up all the rest of the tokens, I guess. But before we <laughs> let you go, we want to remind you of some ways to support the show and keep in touch with us. We do. And the best way to support us is to become a patron at patreon.com slash gom jabbar. Folks, it's only 6,000 and some solaris. <laughs> and for all of those Solaris, you get some cool benefits. You get ad-free episodes. You get weekly blooper clips and cut mm. content that no one else gets to hear because mm-hmm. it's cut from the episodes. <laughs> that is and what that means. Mm-hmm. you get an invite to our exclusive Discord server that is only for our patrons. You can chat with us there, and you can geek out with the wonderful little community we have. It's very true. And another great way to support the show is to get yourself some Dune-themed merchandise Mm-mm-mm. from our store at gomjabarshop.com. We have original art, original apparel, original mugs, mm-hmm. a tote bag even that I use all the time, right? and more. So check it out, yep. gomjabarshop.com. You can get your holiday shopping done early. That's right. That's right. You got that Solari tax return? Use it at gomjabarshop.com. That's true. We're going to update all of the prices to be in Solaris. Don't panic when you see thousands of numbers. Yes. Um, yeah, it's, just make sure you tell Solaris. your bank. Yeah, just make sure you tell your bank because right, right. that might be charged. In <laughs> now, finally, we love to hear from you. So email us, gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com. Send us your thoughts. Send us your questions. Many of you have now assumed that in order to email us you have to send us a picture of your pets that's not a hard and fast (laughs) rule but i'm not gonna discourage that gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com we love to hear from you we do our best to respond and it is a great way to get in touch just reading the juice of sappho card (laughs) kinjals and uh, mala pistols are about the same amount of force interesting interesting what is your favorite card that you have in that little binder there. N- not not the best, not the most expensive, your personal favorite. You know what? Low-hanging fruit, but I think it's true. I think it's true, and I gotta say it. And I'm not ashamed. It is... The Gamjabar, the little death, baby! Indeed, indeed. No, but actually, my favorite card that I have is Pot of Greed! <laughs> that just draw three additional cards! It lets you draw three additional cards! It doesn't even do that! Yes. <laughs> Yes, it does. <laughs> well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic, so help spread the word of Muad'Dib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lord Party Podcast Network on lordparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at more underscore party. We're also on TikTok at Gogjabar Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, whoever controls the podcast controls the universe. 
We'll see you on the golden path. <laughs>